Thank you, Debbie, and thank you to everybody else who has contributed to this morning. Let's pray. Lord Heavenly Father, we pray that your spirit, the spirit of life, will come and draw close to us tonight, revealing your word to our hearts and opening it to us that we might hear your voice. Give us the grace to obey. Give us the grace to love. Amen. Thank you. Thank you, George. Uh, that's, those are the two verses that we're going to be uh, concentrating on, uh, I would say, this morning. Uh, last week, uh, Tim uh, also spoke from this chapter, uh, but he spoke from the first part. And we are going to allude to it and pick something up in that, but particularly related uh, to these two verses. Next one, please, George. I wonder, can you see that? It's, uh, it's difficult sometimes. You don't need to shout this out. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Can you see what is happening? Can you see what are the people doing? What's going on down here? Washing the feet. Which one or ones do you identify with? Are you a washer? Are you a one being washed? Are you one of the ones looking around, looking on? Maybe you're one that's just come in through the door and is thinking, what on earth is going on here? We're going to leave that up for most of this morning. It was the night before Jesus was crucified and Jesus was sharing his last meal with his disciples, the 12 that were closest to him. Those who had been with him from the outset of his ministry, those who would become the apostles who would lead the early church. In that place of eating together, which in itself was an act of friendship and hospitality, Jesus said something truly shocking. One of you will betray me. The disciple whom Jesus loved, who we believe to be John, asked him who it was and Jesus replied, probably just to him, it's the one to whom I give this bread. And then he dips it and gave it to Judas, who then left. John was still reeling with this revelation about Judas, the man they entrusted with the money. He's going to betray Jesus. And then he hears Jesus say, now is the Son of Man glorified. And then he says, I'm going to only be with you a little longer. For John, going through his head, this mixture of 
presence and abandonment of betrayal and glory. And then Jesus says, love one another. It was love for one another that would bind them together through what would be a series of traumatic and painful experiences. Leaving Jesus to pray alone in the garden. Denying him by the fire. Seeing him die on the cross. In anticipation of all this, Jesus' command was to love one another. It's not an unexplained love, though. It's not just words like, all you need is love. Jesus gave them an example, a pattern, an idea of what that love might look like. It was a love that looks like the love I have for you. And the reason why loving like this was so important was, so, was that it confirmed to a watching world that they were disciples of Jesus. And we're going to look at those two things. Loving like Jesus and being recognized as a disciple of Jesus. We've seen that this chapter begins with an act of intimacy and humility with Jesus washing the feet of his disciples. And it's the beginning of the long, slow build-up to Jesus' crucifixion, resurrection, and the end, the climax, the goal of everything Jesus had done so far. It was the living embodiment of loving his people to the end. It was this lowly act of kneeling before his friends and washing their sandy, rough feet that provoked Peter to say, not me! You'll never wash my feet. In this very act, Jesus showed his disciples and shows us today that foot washing was Jesus' way of showing us what God is like. A God who stoops to wash. It's a God who performs the task of a servant. Jesus says, love like this. I don't know whether you've ever wondered about the role you play, the part you have in the church. But we can thank you for your service of cleaning, of maintenance, of administration. All those jobs go on in every organization. And sometimes they can go unrecognized and unacknowledged. You're performing a role that loves like Jesus. And that's why Jesus says this is a new commandment. Not that they'd never heard it before, because it does appear in the Hebrew Bible. And the disciples would have known that. Its newness comes from the nature, the depth, and the type of love. Love as I have loved you. It's a love that doesn't make exceptions. Jesus washes all the disciples' feet. Those who did not want it and those who would betray him. It's an episode where love and denial, intimacy and betrayal coexist. Accepting that we eat with those who may, through word and or deed, betray us and abandon us might be a pattern Jesus calls us to. Yet we don't want this to be, do we? 
Maybe Jesus' openness to the one meant that he was abound to be open to the other as well. Maybe it's like that for us too. We often choose to love people and serve people who are most like us, most easy to get on with, most fun to be with. And yet the love of Jesus is more embracing and inclusive than that. There is generosity and abundance in the love of Jesus that does not appear to require reciprocity and even might be met with refusal or reluctance. But this love that he calls us to, that he commands us to, is also a love that submits himself to others. Debbie referred earlier to that chapter, chapter 12 and about Mary coming and anointing the feet of Jesus. And Jesus has given us a pattern to follow. Jesus accepted being washed and anointed. He accepted the gifts and ministry of others. He was prepared for the comments and the criticism of those who questioned the appropriateness. If he knew who she was, or he eats, with he eats with sinners and tax collectors. He accepted invitations to, to receive hospitality at the homes of people others might question. People like Zacchaeus, Matthew, Simon the leper. All marginalized in a society where purity was an outward attribute to be sought and guarded as opposed to inner purity. What this love does require is acceptance. On one level, when we see and hear of the love of God for us in Christ, we have a choice. We can accept or we can refuse. The consequences, Jesus says to Peter, of refusal are to have no part with Jesus. No relationship. And for Peter, that option was neither attractive or appealing. But the disciples accepted the service provided by Jesus. They took off their sandals, they extended their legs, and allowed Jesus, their rabbi, their teacher, to sit at their feet and wash and dry them. Looking again at the painting, I wonder how many of these were watching and waiting eagerly for Jesus to wash their feet. You can tell it's not England because there's no orderly queue. Others may have been unsure, hesitant, ready to say yes because everyone else has. Others reluctant, but in the end submitting to the ministry of Jesus. What of our acceptance of the love of Jesus? Our unity is possible because of our acceptance of Christ's love and our expression of that love. These disciples received something from Jesus, called to lead the church in love later. But what do we think of Peter's reaction? Is it false humility? Is it horror at the thought that his teacher and friend would do this? Whatever the root of his reluctance, we have to be careful not to judge 
and impose our own sense of what's spiritual or good. Jesus' reaction is to say, well, you have no part with me. There can be no togetherness, no oneness, no unity without mutual submission and mutual recognition and affirmation of the other's gifts and callings. I realise that you're in a period of what we call, I don't know why we call it interregnums, I don't know why we revert to Latin to talk about these things, but we do. This time of in-between, time when different people can bring different, even unexpected gifts to the family of God. The absence of a full-time minister can be the opportunity by giving space for some to develop and demonstrate gifts that God has given them. There is a unity, there is a unity that comes from mutual affirmation during a period of absence and waiting. Reluctance or refusal may result in people feeling that they have no part to play. In a sense, this is a liminal space, that is, one of transition, during which the old ways, the known and accepted, are no more, but the new ways, the new minister, is not yet. A time that can be both daunting and an exciting place of exploration and experimentation as people exercise gifts and receive them. But it's also a love that is to the end. It will not stop halfway, Jesus says in verse 1 of the chapter. The end was not just the washing of their feet, but it went on to the cross where he died to bring all mankind back to God. But that wasn't the end either. He was to rise again, and that wasn't the end. Neither was the ascension, neither was Pentecost. His love for his disciples, for all his followers, that includes you and me, goes on. Keeping, protecting, blessing through all our times. I wonder what type, what that type of love might look like for you and for me. Loving to the end. Or being loved to the end. How does that feel? Living with someone who has a long-term possible terminal illness requires a particular love. To love them to the end. People who have experienced great sadness in their lives, leaving them with scars that never seem to heal and may never, they need to know they are loved to the end. Whatever shape or form that takes. And you need to know you are loved and to love during this period. So, next slide. So that's just a summary of what we've done, those four points. We move on to being recognized as a disciple of Jesus. It's this type of love that is distinctive. It stands out. It demonstrates the love of Jesus and confirms that we are disciples of Jesus. It's a different love. Jesus gives this as a command, not a suggestion or a good idea. Loving one another 
appears to be core to our identity as the people of God and central to our witness as the people of God. It may be unpopular to say so, um, but when you become a follower of Jesus, a disciple, it is to start to realize that it involves a surrendering of our wills and ways to the will and way of Jesus. His command here is to love one another with acts of service and to affirm one another by receiving that love. This journey, however, is not straightforward. And for each of us, we face different challenges and issues in our lives. Some of our own making and some the making of others in our past that makes fulfilling this command particularly difficult, even painful. So the mutual support, encouragement and patience we show each other is crucial to our ability as the people of God to demonstrate to a watching society, even our own families, that we're disciples of Jesus by the particular love we have for one another. The church has, over the centuries, demonstrated love by the way it is cared for the sick and the dying. At the time of the plague in Rome, Christians were known for their preparedness to visit people in their homes, exposing themselves to the risk of infection. And this is not, this has been repeated throughout history. But this is not what Jesus is referring to. The love and mercy shown to the general population is not his focus of attention. It is the relationship between the people of God. It is right for God's people to explore ways of serving and ministering to the society in which we live. Food banks, warm spaces, grief cafes, hope cafe, all important and they have their place in the witnessing of the disciples of Jesus. But Jesus says, it's by the way you love one another that people will know you are my disciples. It's all too common for the people of God to be active in their witness, attentive to their Bible reading, attending prayer meetings. But Jesus says, it's by the way you love one another you'll be my disciples. I'm not suggesting we forgo one at the expense of the other. But if we are to take this command of Jesus seriously, we have to ask ourselves, does our love for one another point to Jesus? Does it look like it will go to the end with people? It does require a degree of self-examination that sees through our activism and asks the question, do I love the people I am serving with? Am I selective in who I show my love to? Who am I prepared to love to the end? Am I prepared to walk with them on their journey? Slide, next slide. I want to finish by telling a story. You may know part of this story anyway. In The Lord of the Rings, there are two very different characters. Two hobbits by the name of Frodo Baggins and his gardener, Sam Gamgee. It's a friendship between a servant and his master, and they become unlikely friends. 
A crisis calls them to tasks they otherwise would never have imagined or sought. Their friendship emerges slowly and awkwardly over time, and it comes about by walking together. The moment when their relationship starts to become a friendship, when Frodo begins to see Sam as an equal and not just an underling, is when Frodo decides to make the journey to Mordor and chooses to go alone. But Sam insists on going with him, even though he knows they will likely never return. I'll go with you, Mr. Frodo, is how Sam announces his intent. Frodo seemed both relieved and annoyed, but the friendship proved essential to completing the almost impossible mission, getting into the evil kingdom of Mordor and destroying the Ring of Power. Without Sam, without his loyalty and endurance, Frodo would likely have perished on the way and certainly would never have finished what he started. And this was not any journey. This was walking toward death. This was choosing to be along some, alongside someone on a journey from which there would be no coming back. Later in the story, when the weight of the task gets too heavy for Frodo, Sam says, I can't carry the ring, Mr. Frodo, but I can carry you. And he does. As followers of Jesus, we've been set an example, a pattern. We've been given a command to love one another, to demonstrate that we're his disciples. We are, in a very real sense, walking with each other. I pray that we will have the grace to walk with each other in good times and bad, to carry one another's burdens to love each other to the end so that the world may see that we are his disciples. Let's pray. Father, we want to thank you for your word and we want to ask, Lord, that it would take root in our hearts and would bear fruit amongst us. In Jesus' name, amen. We're now going to sing.